Welcome back to Miss Radio. This is your host, Gabe Sanders. You're about to hear the fourth and final candidate interview in our affordable housing and homelessness series running up to the election on November 6th. You've already heard from city council candidates Maddox Haberdasher and Tyler Williamson. You've also heard from Bill McCrone, who is challenging incumbent mayor Clyde Roberson for mayor of the city of Monterey. Mayor Roberson declined to sit down with us for an interview, as did incumbent city council member Timothy Barrett. But I am glad to bring you this final interview with Ed Smith, who is seeking re-election on November 6th. Ed served on the police force and has been serving his community for the last few decades. I'm really grateful that I got to sit down with him because our conversation illuminated some of the intersectionality between creating affordable housing and also expanding the water supply here on the peninsula. The interplay between these two pressing policy issues is a critical one, and I'm glad to be able to share this interview with you. All right, enough of the preface. Here's Ed Smith. All right, I am here on Monday morning. Today is October 7th, 8th? 8th. 8th, yes. Very close to the election, just about a mm-hmm. month away. I'm here with Ed Smith, con- a candidate for Monterey City Council. Ed, you worked in the police force for about 30 years uh, in Seaside and Monterey. Yes, correct. So we're here to talk to you about affordable housing and homelessness. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that as a police officer, you had some very meaningful encounters as you know, somebody who is serving people who live in Monterey and who live on the streets of Monterey. Mm-hmm. How have those experiences informed the way you approach policy in homelessness and affordable housing? Well, I think for the start of it, um, as a young man becoming a police officer, you know, you start your career with a perspective of, you know, you're going to save the world, you're going to, uh, you know, serve your community, you're going to do whatever you can to, to make it a great place. And I feel like I was able to contribute and work in the police departments with Uh, great team members, but we encounter a lot of the negative side of uh, a community. And as great as Monterey is, there is also the uh, other side of it where law enforcement sometimes meets and greets people on sometimes their worst day. Mm. The day that, you know, they had an accident, the day they lost a loved one, the day that uh, a son or daughter got arrested or uh, some other tragedy in their life. So law enforcement uh, tends to place us in a, a position where we are uh, interacting with the public when they are uh, pretty much down. That taught me a valuable lesson of a perspective that people are hurting in all kinds of ways and there are opportunities to uh, deliver some resources to them, point them in the right direction, um, assist them, help pick them up, uh, get them started and give them some, um, a little bit better of an encounter so that they can solve some problems for themselves. But the perspective I had of working in law enforcement in uh, serving the communities I worked in was that we have a very, very diverse community, um, all walks of life in terms of economic, in terms of uh, their background, the demographics, uh, some born here, some that uh, moved here, uh, some were left here because of the military, some were here not by choice. 
So you had lots and lots of different folks that we dealt with. And also there was the less advantaged, the, the uh, folks on the street that found themselves living in the woods or in a tent that couldn't find a job. Middle illness, alcohol, uh, disassociated uh, from their families, so all types. In the 34 years of law enforcement, um, contacted lots and lots of different types of folks, but the one thing that's very common among people is people want to have a good life, they want to be warm, fed, comfortable, a roof over their head. They want to get along with people, and they don't want people uh, that are annoying them or bothering them, and they certainly don't want bullies that are trying to push them around. So people just want to have a good life and be in charge of their own lives. So that's the one thing I learned. Are you seeing those services, you know, a roof over their head, warmth, you know, food, are you seeing these delivered to the homeless population in Monterey today? I think that we have a somewhat of a fractured um, system of services in Monterey County. Um, the seat of the, the well, the county seat is in Salinas, hmm. so there's probably more more services closer to the county government. Right. Social services, uh, some housing opportunities for disadvantaged. Um, Monterey County does have a very vast network of non-governmental organizations and non-profits that provide a variety of services. Um, everything from uh, Catholic Charities to Salvation Army to uh, the local diocese uh, service clubs that on any given day uh, homeless can be fed. Uh, there's a variety of opportunities for uh, medical services, uh, certainly CHOMP. Uh, plays a part of that. Tell me more about CHOMP. I heard that mentioned a couple times in the mm -hmm. candidate forum last Monday. Right. Yeah, a week ago. Right. Tell me more about it. Well, CHOMP is the community hospital of Monterey Peninsula, okay. uh, better known as Montage. Okay. Uh, so they, they are our primary uh, hospital on the peninsula. A uh, very large uh, network of services with uh, satellite locations, so it's not just the one hospital, but it's also uh, different services that branch out as far as marina uh, and also to uh, different locations for um, doctors, 24-hour care, as well as the emergency room right. and in the hospital. But they offer services specifically for the homeless population as well? Yeah, there's, there's some services, and actually they do the mental health. Uh, there's quite a a large network through montage of services, of training, uh, rehabilitation, uh, resourcing, and certainly one of the places that one could go to obtain more services through the county network of mental health. Okay. Um, I've recently become aware that we don't have an adult homeless shelter in the city of Monterey. Like you said, a lot of stuff is right. clo located closer to Salinas, right. and I know there's some facilities a little further up the coast, but mm -hmm. if you were on the city council again, re-elected, mm -hmm. um, would you like to see the creation of you know either a, a facility with more beds for more people or transitional housing services, or how do you view the future of service to the homeless community here in Monterey? Well, let me define what I see as the problem, and I think there's multiple levels of of a homeless picture. So when one says homeless, I think it's important that we talk about some are homeless by choice. That's there, true. There's a traveler, mm -hmm. there's uh, someone who is discovering themselves, 
uh, maybe came from another yeah. place far away. Uh, they're good with a bedroll and they're good with living in the woods and they just want to be left alone and they don't want to have uh, responsibility. Uh, those that are choosing to be homeless, it's very difficult to, yeah. you're not going to force them to go into anywhere else. If that they makes don't sense. So there is free will of choice. There is the other end of the other spe spectrum that you might have mental illness, alcohol, drug addiction, and then you also have those that I think are in the category that are desiring of help, probably can get more help, and I think that there's more initiative to help. And that's the one that unfortunately was the one paycheck away from losing their apartment, yeah. um, having a car repossessed, they had a medical issue in their family, they might have had a divorce, a separation, they've had hard times based on their family network or maybe not being able to help them, uh, economic, uh, economically being disadvantaged. So the broad spectrum of homelessness is very complicated to determine who is it that you're trying to help. Right. And I think the greatest need here is that latter category, that one that does want help, that needs to help up, that needs the temporary housing to reestablish their network, their income. They might be working, uh, they might be living in a car, but they have a job. Mm -hmm. They might be going to school, but they're living in their car. So I think those are the ones that I would like to see be able to help if we can, as well as the transitional housing. So I'm a, a fan of working with non-governmental organizations, the nonprofits like Intram, like the Veterans Transition. I interim? In interim. It's yeah. interim. Okay. Uh, transitional housing concept where, um, like Salvation Army as an example, they have 90-day interim, they have two-year interim, so they have domestic violence, uh, women with children that get a two-year housing to reestablish and then they move move on. 90-day um, transitional housing is a model uh, nationwide that seems to work yeah. well. To get those that are on the street that want to get off of drugs and get out of alcohol and get into a counseling situation. So transitional housing that it's targeted to uh, provide that short-term help up that people need I'm a fan of the transitional housing concept, okay. and that's why I've helped with my Rotary Club. We've uh, been able to provide some fundraising for Veterans Transition Center in the former Fort Ord. And the city of Monterey actually put $450,000 of our block grant to the Veterans Transition Center so that they could complete 19 houses for transitional housing. Is that the one on Imjin Parkway? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's not even in the city of Monterey, right? No, it's not. So we've already given some of our resources to that. We have. And we have. can you see that happening again, maybe on a larger scale, given that Fort Ord is designated for redevelopment very soon? And obviously there are a lot of different possibilities. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of the next topic I wanted to move into. Do you see potential in Fort Ord to provide more housing for the people who need it? or? whether they are homeless or whether they're low income. Uh, mm -hmm. I know you support the desalination plant, and I think that that's you know, a, a solution to our water problem that right. really seems necessary at this mm -hmm. point. Um, there might be other ways, but it's the only way we've got at the moment. Yeah, it seems to be the only choice we have yeah. to it add yeah. to our inventory of water. So do you see these things as mutually exclusive, or do you see them as things that can coexist? Um, well, affordable housing there and the desalination plant. Yeah, I think... Uh, 
being able to coexist is the key. Um, we don't want walls, we don't want separated neighborhoods, and we don't want to distinguish from, okay, well, this neighborhood is only low income, it's only Section 8, or that neighborhood is high end. I think it's really important to integrate, no matter what we do. Right. Success is dependent on looking at everyone as an equal and giving everyone the opportunity. So that's why in these large cities, and I'll say Detroit, New York, Los Angeles, um, HUD has moved away from building large Section 8 housing, low-income housing, isolated from other parts of the community because right. they found that it does not work. Mm -hmm. On a social level, it doesn't work. Well, it can result in segregation. Exactly. And so integrated housing right among our community seems to be the best um, option. Okay. And housing units that are 8, 10, 18, 19, that are integrated, as an example, affordable units that were built right downtown on Alvarado, 19 affordable units in the heart of town, in mixed use, right down the street from all the services. Uh, Van Buren, right next to the police department, right. 19 senior units, right in the heart of Old Town, blocks from Monterey Institute, or uh, Middlebury yeah, Institute, just down the excuse street. me, yeah, yeah, MIS, right down the street from Middlebury. So I think that that is the model that we should continue with. With land and with water, we should be able to do more of that. Okay. But your answer, your question was more about Fort Ord. And yeah. I think that there is an opportunity to use the land that's in Fort Ord because they have more land than Monterey's got. Mm -hmm. We are somewhat built out, but Fort Ord does have opportunities with the land that's in Seaside and Marina. Uh, to expand those kind of services right. if those cities choose to do that. So how, how much influence would you as a city council member have over how that land is used? Given that it's closer to Marina and Seaside, you said you, the city gave $400,000? Yeah, $450,000. $450,000 at one point. Does, it, does the city of Monterey have any kind of jurisdiction over how that land is used aside from with you know, relation to the water supply? Not really, because that's okay. going to be within the city of Seaside or okay. within the city of Marina. But where we do have our influence is we get along with our neighbors. We collaborate very well. The control, if you will, is more through the promatic agreements. Promatic so, agreements? Yeah, well, so we've programmed in some conditions. I see. Okay. So Veterans Transition Center has to use their services to target Monterey veterans that are going to go through the transitional housing and the Veterans Transition Center housing. So our money that we gave them, which was a block grant money, is specifically targeted to Monterey veterans who are needing transitional housing. Hmm. So that's their obligation. Um, there are those opportunities in the future that if we were to expand that for Veterans Transition Center or if we were to expand partnership interim or with Salvation Army, the city of Monterey could very well put conditions on how they will use the funds that we provide to them to provide the services intended for those that come from Monterey. So through programs that we have agreements with those nonprofits, that's the way we would do that. Because I certainly couldn't force the city of Marina or the city right. of Seaside to do what we want Monterey with their jurisdiction. Yeah. It's 
their own city council that provides the leadership for their cities. But working with those other cities, we serve on regional boards, the mayors talk, the city council members talk, we all share ideas, right. and we all have the common interest of providing services to our community. So I think that there's always opportunities to yeah. collaborate with the other cities. So there's opportunity. Do you feel like there is will among these different city leaders, yeah. Marina, Seaside, Monterey? Do you feel like there is the will to start putting resources toward affordable housing? Uh, you know, resources that hadn't been previously allocated. Well, I think there is the will, but let's talk about what it takes to get affordable Please. housing. Yeah. Yeah, so let's let's talk about the elephant yeah, in the room, if you will. I was going to ask you about incentives, yeah. you know, because that, you have to make it profitable for the people who build it right. to do so. Absolutely right. So the incentives or the, um, the actual what makes the affordable houses get built, it starts with the ownership of the land. Mm. So the city of Monterey has a history of locating land that we can partner with and make some affordable housing. So the city of Monterey has... 550 affordable units that we manage that are the city-owned properties that are affordable housing throughout the city. So we have 550. That's a large number for a city. Mm -hmm. The way homes are built that are affordable for workplace or workforce mm -hmm. are you have to have the land. The city of Monterey has about 120 acres of Fort Ord former Fort Ord land that we could look at as a possibility, but there are a lot of restrictions on that property because of the lack of uh, infrastructure that's yeah. already there. So it's very very expensive to develop that well, land. It's essentially greenfield development. Exactly. And so, so it's starting from scratch with, you know, no road, no sewer, yeah. no water. So it's very difficult to find developers that are going to be able to build affordable housing unless they get the land free or at low cost. And there has to be water associated with the land. And we, as you heard at the forum, yeah. are currently under a cease and desist for water. We have a moratorium of water. So we don't have water associated with a large plot of water, a large plot of land. So it's very difficult to see affordable housing built without the land and without water. So you said there's a cease and desist order moratorium on water use, is that what you're saying? Water use in the Fort Ord area? No, that's or it's it's in our region. You know, okay. So we have in the service area of Calam on the peninsula, we are under a court order to reduce the take from the Karma Valley River. Yeah. And that's order ninety five ten that was issued in nineteen ninety five. Okay. So this has we, been in action since nineteen since nineteen ninety five. So water is a very it's probably another one hour long pot, uh, uh, <laughs> podcast, yeah. but it's very interesting to talk about it briefly. But we currently have water restrictions, and without water associated to the land that we have in Monterey, we are stuck without the ability to build. And I was quoted at the. California Utilities Commission hearing September 13th by the Carmel Pinecone, mm. and I testified at the hearing, <clears throat> and very briefly what I said was, I'm tired of saying no to legitimate housing projects that can provide affordable housing and workplace housing because we don't have water. Right. While we have the cease and desist and we have our water restrictions, it's very difficult to build more affordable units. 
and that's why I've been fighting to see the completion of a desal plant get us off the Karma Valley River, get out from underneath 9510, the cease and desist order, and provide the region with the available water that we need so that we can stimulate and incentivize those that build, which is the private sector. City of Monterey doesn't have a crew of contractors to go build. It's the private sector that builds. Well, the private sector can't build unless they have water, and we currently don't have water. I hear you. And I I know that right now we have a a water credit system that is tied into the (coughs) construction of affordable housing. So if, say, a building, uh, a business wants, a restaurant, let's say, wants to expand and it wants to start using more water, it needs to somehow incorporate into its plan the construction room making available affordable housing is that am i interpreting that correctly or how how does this system exactly work the trade for water and affordable housing yeah so the affordable housing piece is not really connected to the water credits okay so affordable housing can be built anywhere with property that's owned at the right price if that property has water credits mm-hmm. the housing can be built so nobody's in the way and nobody's saying no as long as someone owns the land and there is a builder and there's water credits to that property then the housing can be built on the management of the water it is on a water credit so the parcel itself has a historical record of what was the water to that property so in other words if I bought a home in an R1 I have a two-bedroom two-bath home and I'm a young family and all of a sudden I have a couple of kids and I need another bedroom and I need another bathroom and I have the space on that lot and I go to a builder and I say I want to build one more bedroom and I want to build one more bathroom I'm restricted I can build the bedroom I can't build the bathroom because there's no water credits for building another bathroom on my property unless my property had a historical record of having more water credits. So what's happened in our community, and this is in Seaside and Marina, or I'm sorry, Pacific Grove. Marina's a whole different thing. It's got its own water system. That's what I've heard. Pacific Grove, Delray Oak, Sand City, Monterey, um, and parts of the unincorporated area of Carmel and Carmel, we all fall under the 9510 cease and desist order. So we are restricted on water credit system. As an example, downtown, there was a former bank right at the corner of Franklin and Alvarado, Hmm. right in the heart of our town. It's currently the site of a church. I think it's great that there's a church there, but the owner of the building wanted to convert it to some other use, like a restaurant, a uh, large pizza, uh, family-style restaurant, bring in seats, uh, have a family-style restaurant in the heart of Alvarado. Sound like a great idea. Well, the former bank had two bathrooms. Mm. It was a bank. It didn't have a lot of bathrooms, didn't need a lot of bathrooms. And so without the water credits on that site, the owner could not replicate uh, and invent a new business he couldn't turn it into a restaurant, and therefore, the only other option he had was to rent it to a local church who's now operating a church, all because there's no water credits on the property, and we are under the cease and desist order. 
So, and I'm sure that's less profitable for the landowner. It's less profitable for the landowner. It's less of a community use. Sure. It makes more sense in a commercial zone right in the heart of downtown Monterey, right down the street yeah. from Middlebury Institute. Yeah. You, you should have a very large restaurant that would service the needs. However, that owner of that property is locked out of any changes until we have water. So that's happening all over our community. Right. And people can't remodel their homes and add a bathroom. People can't change businesses. And so we are stymied in the economic development of our community until you. we get out of the water restrictions. So I'm really glad you made that clear because I don't know that it was made terribly clear at the candidate forum the connection between the water supply and the affordable housing right. supply or just the expansion of housing expansion of anything mm -hmm. really at this point so mm -hmm. one last sort of question to round things out here um, would the desalination plant if it were up and running in the next few years would that allow for the expansion of the housing supply it sounds like the connection is there yeah eventually it would so on September 13th, when I went to the hearing where they awarded to Calam the permit or the permission to move ahead to get the permits, I should say, uh, it was a 5-0 vote and each of the California um, utilities commissioners spoke mm -hmm. and they defined the size of the desal plant and they also defined the region's under the Calam service area, the use of water and the projected need of water combined with the other parts of the water solution. Right. So it gets real complicated, sure. but very briefly, uh, aquifer restorage and recovery is part of the solution. In other words, in high rain years, we store a water and it's got to be stored in the aquifer in Seaside, which is an underground natural aquifer. We also have uh, Water One, or pure water, with the sanitation of water that will now be treated and become potable water and put into the system as the aquifers and then delivered to homes that will be from our sanitation water treated. And that's coming online in about eight months. And that plant's being built in Marina to service the peninsula as well. The other supply of water is a small amount of water that will continue coming from the Carmel Valley River because the state water resources has determined how much water the region can take off of the Carmel Valley River. Right now, we have to reduce the take by 60% mm. by 2021. Okay. So that deadline is... that deadline is looming mm -hmm. and we already had a five-year extension wow. in 2016. So this plant needs to be So built. that's why this desal plant, it seems like, well, people are saying, don't rush it, don't, don't force this on us. They're forgetting about this deadline that the California Water Resources has said will expire in 2021, which says get off the river by 60%. So the desal plant produces the remaining needed water. Right. So we have a three-pronged approach. Desal, aquifer restorage and recovery, treating the sewage water, and a little bit of water coming off of the Carmel Valley River. Right. So 
that put together gives us 14,500 acre feet in the future when all those systems are run online. So it's going to take a while, probably three to four years, we should start to see us get out from underneath the limitation of water. And my dream is that somebody wants to add a bathroom to a home, a business wants to change, they need to add a few bathrooms, they want to expand their service level. I want to get out from underneath this cease and desist so that we can see a community that fully matures that includes affordable housing and more building housing on the available land that we have so that we are not starving ourselves right. just because we don't have water. Well, it sounds like the economy will benefit as much as yes. the people who need to be able to afford a home. Absolutely. And uh, Mr. Smith, thank you so much for showing us the connections between all of these different aspects of public policy here in Monterey. Yeah. Uh, you blew my mind a little bit because I've been trying to make sense of it for a while. Uh, since I started paying attention to the race within the last month or two. Yeah. So, thank you very much. It can be very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> but hopefully we brought some clarity to it. You and certainly did. I look forward to, uh, to talking to you again about yeah. the public policy, and there's so much to talk about in terms of how we define the public interest and what is in the public good. Indeed. Well, good luck in the next month or so. It's a, it's a very close race, it seems like, with a lot of people with... A lot of exciting ideas, so <laughs> we'll see what happens. Well, elections are always exciting, and it's uh, pedal to the metal and a race to the finish. Sounds like a plan. Thanks Alrighty. very much, Gabriel. Appreciate thank you. it. Another big thanks to Ed Smith for that interview. I look forward to getting into the policy weeds with you again sometime. All right. Like I said, that's it for the candidate interviews in our series on affordable housing and homelessness. But coming up, you're going to start hearing from academics and experts in the field, starting with our own Netta Avineri. She's a professor here at Miss, and our own Angelo Gonzalez sat down with her for an interview last week. That'll be coming up soon. We'll also have interviews with the homeless population of Monterey itself. These people deserve to be heard as much as the experts, as much as the candidates. And I look forward to bringing their voices to you through the Miss Radio podcast. All right. You'll hear from us again very soon. Thanks for tuning in.